I think that's a great answer. Hit that bell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> <laughs>Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network here in Milbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg, and we're sitting in studio today uh, with a third round of our political guests. We have two today, which I I, I was unprepared for, but I'm excited because it'll be kind of a fun conversation. Are both of you currently representatives? Just one. So John Mills is here, current representative to South Dakota. What district? District District 4. District 4. And then... Fred Deutsch. Fred Deutsch is in. You are running for District Four, former representative. Oh, so you've been there before. Correct. Um, whose seat are you running for currently? Well, there's a gentleman from Millbank, Jason, uh, Jason Catwig. Jason Catwig. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Sure. He's not running again. Let's start with Fred. Oh, who well, are you? Hey, good question. I'm Fred. I'm Fred Deutsch uh, from uh, Rural Watertown, District Four. Um, my wife and I are both chiropractors. We've practiced together for the last 35 years or so. Um, is that how you met? Uh, we met in chiropractic school Ooh. in the Twin Cities. A uh, match made in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, she is a, uh, a woman from Grenville, South Dakota, and I grew up in Michigan. Why South Dakota then? Well, because this is her hometown. Home Home stomping grounds. Uh, After we married in 82, it was kind of like, well, we want to be by family. Do we want to go back to Michigan uh, or do we want to come to South Dakota? And she's uh, one of 12. Uh, It was important for her to be near family. So we ended up uh, in Watertown. Awesome. John, where are you from? Uh, I was born in Brookings. And uh, grew up there, spent my life there. I live on a farm uh, near the little town of Volga, which is west of Brookings. Like just a hobby farm, or you guys actually have a lot of land you deal deal with? Well, we have we have uh, 320 acres where we live, and and we own some other land around that other other people farm. I'm not the the guy doing the hard work, <laughs> they let me uh, pick the rocks in the spring out of the field and, and get the water started for the cattle and shut it down in the fall, and I, I get to do some odds and ends. Uh, and once in a while, if I'm good, I get to ride in the combine or uh, <laughs> in, enjoy that. But uh, uh, I just enjoy living in the country and, and uh, all that it means. How long have you been a, a elected rep? I'm just... Uh, wrapping up my first term, so I was elected in November of 2016, and uh, have been through two sessions of the legislature now, um, and seeking re-election. Why? That's always a good question. <laughs> Why? And and my answer is that uh, I want South Dakota to be better, and I I believe I've made a difference. Um, I have. Children. I have two children. My wife and I have been married 38 years. Uh, we have two grown kids. We now have five grandchildren from age seven down to age two. And uh, I want South Dakota to be better for them. Uh, how, how is it not better? South Dakota's changed uh, in my life. Uh, we have uh, crime like I've never seen before, drug problem that I've never seen before. Um, 
some people who, who know me know that I have a real distaste for our state's dependence on gambling, and I believe that's a part of the reason why we're seeing that. How much of that is just due to the prevalence of uh, gaming, shall we say, on the reservations nationwide? To me, the, the, the one that troubles me the most in South Dakota is the video lottery mm. because it's so prevalent. It's as convenient as your gas station. Uh, there are thousands of video lottery casinos in South Dakota, and they, they suck money out of our local economies, and they hurt people. Who? Where does the money go? The money f- is that a state organ, a state-run f- organization? It is. It it's <clears throat> it was approved. The voters approved uh, uh, some limited gambling back in the eighties, thirty years ago, and then the state legislature added video lottery in nineteen eighty-nine, I believe. Is this a subtle tax? Is that really the goal? It, it, well, it is a tax. I mean, the the you know the the state gets half of the, half of the money, half of the money uh, for the video for what? lottery, goes to the state. Like general fund. It goes into the general fund. Uh, it finances the state. It's a hundred million, hundred million dollars a it's, year. It's the second largest source of revenue for us to run our state government. Yeah, it's a distant second. I mean, yeah, you know, we get. <clears throat> uh, no sales taxes first, correct? Oh, absolutely. Or is that, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. okay. I, <laughs> we'll get there. <clears throat> you were in the legislature once, legislature once, Fred. That's correct. Two years. When? I served in fifteen and sixteen. And then, did you quit or get beat? Um, I didn't get beat. Uh, my wife asked me not to run oh. again. That's different okay. than quitting. Oh, ab- oh, sure. Well, so, be, yeah. yeah, if you don't run again, that's fine. <laughs> um, why are you going back now? Um, I or why do you want to go back now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, your f- first question was good. It's presumptuous, but okay. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have always felt uh, a passion in my gut. Um, public service is kind of who I am. I, I like to give uh, back. And um, I, even after I didn't run again, I, I've just felt a desire to run. Uh, and, and frankly, the reason I didn't run again previously is because of uh, business. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, I'm a chiropractor. My wife and I practice together. When I went to Pierre the first time, it was all on her shoulders, all the work, all the patient load. And now we have a, a young chiropractor that is going to come in and take my place while I'm gone. So that issue has been addressed and it allows me the opportunity to return to public service, which is something I love to do. I feel a calling for it. I think I'm good at it. I, uh, I think uh, I, I have the ability to discern complicated issues and bring common sense. And they say uh, common sense is not all that common, particularly in government. And I, I think that's one of the strengths that I bring to it. <laughs> Do either of you hunt? I do. No. No? Mm-mm. I figured that's why you're in here and you're not. I'm surprised <laughs> to see you today. This is uh, an opener. October 20, the 100th anniversary, I believe. It is the 100th anniversary. 100th year pheasant yep. opener. Yep. <laughs> so I'm a lifelong hunter. Yeah. Uh, had a dad that hunted and, and uh, taught me that and, and have so many wonderful memories 
outdoors early in the morning, setting out duck decoys and uh, hunting pheasants. And then my my father didn't hunt big game, but uh, I, uh, for some reason, fell in love with archery and uh, then got into archery hunting for deer. So Wow. Successfully? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have the mounted heads in my in my den that my that my grandchildren <laughs> they call them Papa's deer. Nice. Absolutely, don't you forget it, kids. <laughs> yeah. Fred, no hunting ever. Um, or was it just well, not part of your well, growing well, not, up? Or? Not never. No, I I'll go out and and hunt, uh, but no, it wasn't part of my upbringing. So I I never really developed a passion for it. Yeah, I I go out with friends, um, but. It's not a part of my life. Yeah. Uh, getting political. Is the Second Amendment uh, for hunting? No. no. The Second Amendment has nothing to do about hunting. Okay. It, it has to do with <clears throat> uh, the citizens protecting themselves from a, a government that uh, could take could take over. Take so are control. you implying that the government could be corrupt? <laughs> Hmm. You never know what could come down the road. Um, right. <clears throat> now, currently, there are some questions on the ballot coming up. Indeed. Um, some very important questions. Why? And why, some of the questions, too, are like the people to, to choose. Why in the world should anyone check your boxes? Fred, start with you. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by your boxes. No, but, the, no uh, the box with your name on it. Why should oh, anyone check that oh, box? Why should they vote for you? Oh, I thought so you... It's, it's just an oval. My bad. It's not a box. It's an oval. <laughs> why should I fill in the oval for you? Well, uh, because, number one, I bring common sense. I bring experience. I bring conservative values. Uh, I bring thoughtfulness. Um and uh, I bring the ability to listen carefully to all sides and bring it together. Um, uh, break that down. What does that mean? How does how, yeah. how does it work? Yeah. Like, like if, if okay. we are diametrically opposed right. on an opinion, how can you actually come together? Well, so today, uh, John and I uh, were at a coffee here in Millbank. And uh, we met a number of people that had uh, opposing opinions mm-hmm. from what I believe. I think um, one of the jobs of a good legislator is to listen carefully, ask probing questions so you can really understand what a person believes. Um, and if possible, marry that or compromise but if not, if compromise isn't possible, because it not always is, at least to provide the courtesy of, of that thoughtful uh, listening uh, to the other side. So, they, so the person understands that you know what they believe and that you're considering it. John, why should people vote for you again? Well, <clears throat> I think because I've made a difference. I show up every day, I do the work, I bring up 63 years, I'm happy to say how old I am, Craig can see, because I've I got some gray hair, uh, and along with that comes a certain amount of 
uh, of wisdom. Um, and much like Fred, you know, I enjoy listening. I enjoy learning. I enjoy trying to find that sweet spot where there can be some compromise. Uh, but I also have the conviction uh, to stand up for things like our Second Amendment rights, uh, like the right uh, of the unborn mm-hmm. uh, to life. Um, there, are, there are certain fundamental things that um, aren't going to change, but I do enjoy listening even on the divisive issues and, and trying to understand because we do need civil dialogue we do need to talk to each other. We do need to listen. Um, I think I bring that to the legislature. Um, I also bring a, I'm not one of the ones that's looking for the camera. Um, I tend to bring a, a quietness um, to the debate because I, I enjoy listening more than speaking and uh, don't have any aspirations to become anything higher than where I am. Um, I just enjoy the work and I want South Dakota to be better for my kids, my grandchildren, for your children and grandchildren. Do you think that, that having the thought that you, you aren't seeking higher office, does that make you more valuable or does it make you more useless in the political game. <laughs> well, that depends on your perspective, doesn't it, Craig? <laughs> if you're trying to, if you're one of the people who's trying to climb, then I'm probably right. pretty useless. <laughs> but, but I'm thinking for the the citizens, mm-hmm. us the the normal people. <laughs> um, does that make you like someone that is at least outwardly not going after the next step up? Does it make you? Can you get more done? I hope so. You know, I actually got this job the first time. I wasn't seeking it. Fred had the position. And when he decided, as he mentioned, to that it wasn't working out for him, mm-hmm. himself and his wife, um, the chairman of the Republican Party in Brookings County just called me out of the blue one night and said, hey, we, we're looking for somebody to run for the state house we think you'd be good. Would you do it? And I, um, you know, went into uh, prayer mode and uh, talked with my wife, uh, thought about it a lot and, uh, and really felt, and and then met with Fred actually before I made the decision to say, what does this mean? That's what I, (laughs) that's what I call the Lutheran question. (laughs) (laughs) What does this mean? And, And so he, he tried to enlighten me on, on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And uh, after all of that, I said, okay, uh, I'm in. So I guess to answer your question is I've always felt like I only want to serve where I'm asked to serve. I'm not, I don't, didn't step forward because I was seeking it and mm-hmm. trying to climb. I stepped forward because I was asked to serve. And that will always be my position. If, uh, if there's a, a need and I can fill it, um, I want to be open and willing to listen and step forward if I can help. So what happens to the state government if Sutton wins and and it flips the governorship to the D? Oh, what changes? uh, That's a good question. Um, You know, I I think regardless of, of who wins the governor's position, um, there'll be a, a, a desire to work with the governor. Um, 
you know, everybody wants good government. Everybody wants a government to move forward to uh, to um, enhance the the life of our children and and our children's children. We want a better state. Um, you know, it's possible he may veto more bills than a Republican governor would. Uh, it's possible we may have more work to do. Does the is there enough majority potentially? And I don't know if that could ever change this soon in the legislature that any veto could just be overturned. Oh, absolutely. I mean, almost yeah. across the board. Well, we the Republican Party holds a super majority in in, right. in both houses. So I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, John. I think it's you need a two thirds yeah. majority mm-hmm. to override a governor's veto. Uh, and we have the, at least currently, uh, have the ability to do that. Um, so Is that good politics or good governing? Well, it depends upon the bill. If, if the state voters put a Democrat governor in and there's a Republican legislature, mm-hmm. um, to just overrule I mean, from either direction, well, to just ramrod over the other, is that good governing? I, you know, I don't think ramrodding is the right word because there's always debate. There's always consideration. Um, if the governor vetoes a bill, uh, he or she will provide the reasoning and the rationale um, to the legislature. And then the legislature has to debate what to do with it. Um, and uh, do they try to override or do they respect the opinion of the governor? Uh, and if they do attempt to override, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it, the debate goes on in both houses, uh, one at a time. And if there's substantial uh, desire to move forward, if the, the bill has good legs, good foundation, good reason uh, that it should be approved, uh, then uh, there is that consideration. So I think that's, that's good government. Do you think that Christine Ome will win? I hope so. I think it'll be close. I, you know, why, why is it going to be close? I think Billy brings a, a unique story that South Dakotans haven't heard before. Um, I think um, he's perceived as a nice guy, and uh, Christy has had to work really hard for her uh, elections. He hasn't had really any tough elections. He had a, an initial election. And I don't think he's ever had a primary. Um, I don't know how challenging his elections have been. So, you know, Christie's had to stand up and say, this is what I believe. Um, Even in tough primaries, primaries are always tough. Mm -hmm. They're the worst. You know, uh, John and I have a general election. We're against uh, two Democrats and a Libertarian. Our views are are very different than theirs. It's easy to show people how we're different and allow people then to vote uh, on on the difference. We have values, the Democrats have values, and the Libertarian has values, and they're different. But when you put a a Christy Nome against a Marty Jackley, boy, that is tough, and you got to work at it. And sometimes you got to say things that aren't kind. Why, though? Because you want to differentiate yourself, but to, to climb in the mud does that does that help, or does it just make you get dirty too? It makes you get dirty, mm-hmm. but some people unfortunately buy the mud. 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of human nature. I don't know. I mean, I've I've committed. I'm not going to I'm not going to roll around in the mud with with our competitors in the district four race. Uh, I want voters to know who I am, and I want voters to vote for me. Mm-hmm. Fred Deutsch, the chiropractor. Fred Deutsch, the public servant. Fred Deutsch, the former school board member. Uh, Fred Deutsch, the president of South Dakota Right to Life. Fred Deutsch, the guy that uh, has been rated uh, A by the by the NRA. Uh, Fred Deutsch has the 100% pro-life, pro-life voting record. Uh, Fred Deutsch is the father of four beautiful daughters and grandchildren. That's the Fred Deutsch that I want people to vote for, not the Fred Deutsch that slings mud. I mean, that's me, but everybody's different. I watch both sides because I'm fascinated by the process of politics. I think it's miserable most of the time. I don't want to do it. But I like watching it and talking about it. (laughs) Christy Noem is a conservative female, which means she's not a female to the left because you can't be both. You're not allowed to. So for that, the the millennial segment, and I'm going to lump them into that, the college-age millennial left, they see her as just bad only because she's conservative. She has an R by her name. And Sutton, he has a compelling story. He's got a D by his name, even though he want, doesn't want that, from what I can read. And he won't come on the show. I've asked several times. It feels like that he wants to distance himself from the real Democrat Party. And what I want to know, and I'm curious what you guys think, did it help him to have Trump come to town for a private fundraiser for Christie? If anything, it emboldened the people that despise Trump to vote against her because of that association. And by her partnering with him in Sioux Falls, and then by running down the mountain default, you guys are on the R ticket. Does that put you in that same light to, to that group of people? I'm not sure the answer. Um, how, you know, how people look at us. Um, we're both conservative Republicans. And uh, I both think we're very reasonable Republicans and, uh, God willing, uh, re-electable Republicans. <laughs> um, you know, I like Christie. Um, I like her politics. I like her beliefs. Well, and Christie's story is compelling, too. Sure. I, I mean, her father died when she was young and was called home to, you know, mm-hmm. run the family ranch and and uh, the family business, and and she really had to step up. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, she is a su- success story as well. Um, well, some would say equally as as successful. I mean, it, as far as like had to compete against the same struggles. Just you know, Billy has sure. certain different struggles, but I mean, if you listen to the left, the female struggle is as it's worse. Almost mm. when I, mean, I don't know if it is or not, but that that's kind of their position they take. So I, I'm just curious because it kind of puts our governor race in a, a little bit different position. Now, what does it do if if the how if if the governor mansion gets flipped to a D? What does that do? Because that turns South Dakota blue at some point nationally. Does that embolden the National Democrat Party? Probably. I, is I, that going to be the biggest repercussion? You know, so much of the repercussion of the who we choose for governor, we see 
and what what power does the governor have? You know, the governor will fill a whole bunch of offices and peer with people who support them, and <clears throat> those people are not Billy Sutton. They are um, they are people who who aspire who who attach themselves to the Democrat agenda. The governor also appoints um, Supreme Court justices at the state level and a number of other judges to lots of positions. Those impact all of us. Uh, We've seen that at the national level as we watch Mm -hmm. the recent uh, Supreme Court uh, justice confirmation. Oh, I thought that was a circus. Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was a circus. But to to watch that, you have to realize that the, the proving ground, the training ground for uh, Judge Kavanaugh comes through a, a governor somewhere. And um, and so the importance of who we choose for governor has a lot more to do with than one person's compelling story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to do with the, the decisions they will make, the uh, the offices they will fill, um, the way that they will govern. And uh, so I, I'm hopeful that uh, voters will give deep thought to that as they think about which box they're going to check. Yeah. And, of course, Fred and I are, are two that would hope they would uh, check the Christie box. Yeah. So is that similar to some people like voting for a president because of the pro-life position or because of yeah. uh, a, I, a constitutional position yeah. rather than maybe that they are just yeah. outstanding people? Because I know sure. a fair amount of people that voted for the for Trump for that reason, not because sure. they thought he was the best guy, sure. but because well, the alternative wasn't what they wanted, and the those ancillary yep. people that get brought in mm-hmm. so do it, make a difference. In, in so South, is that similar? Absolutely. Yep. It absolutely. Is. In South Dakota, the um, governor will appoint Supreme Court justices, as John said, and during the next term, two are going to be retiring. It's in our Constitution that age 70 is oh, when, really? they, when they retire. And and in our state, they don't go through a confirmation process. It's straight appointed? It's straight appointment. Oh. Straight appointment in South Dakota. So chances are, if we have a Democrat governor, obviously we're going to have Democrat Supreme Court justices. Now, consider... Our court, uh, we just went through this huge fight with Kavanaugh. If the U.S. Supreme Court were to consider overturning Roe, if that were to happen, it would go back to the states, and each state would decide Mm -hmm. upon uh, the uh, law here. You can bet that uh, the state Supreme Court would have to address that here in South Dakota. Uh, and if we have Democrat judges uh, sitting on the state Supreme Court, that probably does not bode very well for South Dakota continuing to be a pro-life state in uh, the support that we get at the uh, state Supreme Court on, on the pro-life issue. So here's the next question for that on that topic. Should abortion be a crime? A crime? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, if doctors kill unborn babies, they should lose their licensure. Should the mother be charged criminally? No, no. I I don't think that uh, should be the case. Um, But uh, I have uh, no love in my heart for doctors that kill unborn babies. 
So is there ever an exception? Well, so let's let's uh, ask about what is the difference in the value of an unborn baby that uh, is uh, developing, uh, that is loved by the mother versus... Okay, uh, the, sorry, hold on. What difference does that make? Well, it doesn't make any difference okay. in my mind. Okay. That's, that's the question. Okay. Versus the value of an unborn baby that comes into the world as a, the result of rape. Okay, so... Um, now, there's a political question, which is different than the philosophical question. The philosophical question has to do with value. Which one I, comes I, first? Well, the chicken or the egg? Well, I don't know about <laughs> uh, about that. But, and, well, but, I mean, they, but which one comes first? Doesn't that kind of help determine the other one a little bit? Mm, maybe. Um, you know, the, the political question is... Um, what's the best way to get Roe overturned? Um, and my thought is is probably uh, to take an incremental approach. But wasn't Roe primarily a patient privacy decision? Um, yeah, um, that's, that's true. Um, but when you talk with the lawyers, they'll say it was decided without foundation, mm -hmm. that it was, it was a terrible decision, um, that had no legs. Um, and, uh, the challenge now, of course, is that it's been affirmed and reaffirmed right. so many times that they have to figure out what is the mechanism that could be used to overturn it. Which really comes down to a new law that would question it, and then it would have to go to the Supreme Court, and they'd have to decide. Correct? Correct. Some state would have to come forward with a question that would be... Go through the... Uh, go, go I through mean, the this hoops. is a decade or more long. Well, unless it's been in the process already. Ooh, is there any that oh, you yeah. know of? Yeah, I, I do. Okay, do tell. <laughs> is this a secret? <laughs> it's probably well, not a secret. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know of a state that is uh, uh, putting a law through the process, mm -hmm. uh, working its way hopefully to the Supreme Court. Uh, that, that will directly like that question could, that could challenge okay. Roe. That could. Yep. So is the, is there because uh, I mean part of the issue that I think the broader picture when it comes to abortion is if it becomes a crime, what is the what's the enforcement and then what's the consequence? Who, I mean, be, because what do you do? Do you go after everyone that's involved? Is it too big of an issue to really tackle? I don't think so. No. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's a very significant social issue that was wrongly decided in, in the early 70s. So what do you say about when then people push back, well, if it becomes illegal, then it's going to become in the back alleys, and you know, you throw a metal coat hanger at you as a as a defense. I mean, what what's the argument to that? What what is your position on that? When they say that, I mean, you you hold a a certain position in South Dakota right to life, yes? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm president yeah. of South Dakota okay. right to life, <laughs> kind of the top. Well, yeah, I mean. You know, you 
you hope that there can be social structures in place that um, women would would want to deliver their baby. Uh, maybe we uh, do more to support uh, adoption. Uh, maybe we can make adoption less costly than abortion. Um, maybe we can do things to uh, educate women. Um, you know, it's it's a really challenging question, but I I I just know that when we talk about choice, choice shouldn't involve murdering your unborn child. But, okay, they don't see it that way, though. Well, I understand that. So, so th- this is a it's, a, it's a perception issue. They don't see it. The left doesn't see it as a baby, as a human. Yeah, they see it and as the a And right, the right goo. sees it as a human. Yeah. So how yeah. do you, how can you even have a discussion until that foundational difference is actually fixed? Well... I guess you just have to depend on science, and, and science clearly defines life beginning at conception. Well, they won't say that. They'll, they'll say that's not even remotely true. Well, I, I mean, I suppose you can believe the Earth is still flat, and and it's man, not. <laughs> and man never landed on the moon, you know. And there is no such thing as dinosaurs. Okay. You know, I mean, you can believe that. You can believe that women can become men. <laughs> And men can become women. You know, you can have a little uh, little surgery here, a little snip there, and all of a sudden, voila. But it doesn't happen that way. It's not science. Okay. So how do you... How do you see, don't I don't want to go there, I, huh? I, mean, I don't even know how you have the conversation. <laughs> like, how, how do you even start the conversation when... And it's similar to... The, the liberal conservative ideolo- ideological foundation, because I, the way I have seen it over my years, that the liberal ideology starts from government can handle your money better, and the conservative ideology starts from people. The people can handle their money better. Mm-hmm. That foundation is so different that to even compromise in anything in the middle doesn't make any sense, because how do you even come close to marrying those two ideas? It, to me, it's a similar concept. I One side says it's not a human. Science says it's not a baby. The other side says science says it's a baby. Well, what in the world? How do you come together? There are some can. issues that you can't. Yeah. You know, right. you. there are some of those foundational issues like you're talking about that you just you cannot come together. Um, but thankfully, there are a lot of other issues where you can. And um, So does that mean the issues that you can't come together on should not be in government? They shouldn't become a government question. It should go back to just allowing the people to deal with it at private at the private level. What do you think, Fred? Um, government has the responsibility to protect its people, and part of quote its people are the unborn. So that is a fundamental responsibility and perhaps again it's a difference between how conservatives and liberals view the proper role of government and you're right i mean government has the responsibility to protect the weak and the innocent Mm -hmm. and you know those who cannot protect themselves and and you can't define that any clearer than the unborn that's right that's a fundamental Mm -hmm. role of government Mm mm-hmm so what do you how do you respond to the attack from the other side and I've seen it specifically from um 
the at least one of the other candidates in this race um <laughs> that republicans aren't there for life until birth and then they don't give a rip after birth how do you respond to that i say baloney mm-hmm. i say baloney yeah um you know you look at everything that uh, the republicans do uh and i say come on give give me some information G- give me data um half of our state budget goes to education it's in our constitution that we have to uh, fund our schools um and almost all the rest of it goes to to the social programs. I mean, there's very little outside of education and social programming, and we're a Republican-led state um, with a AAA rating, by the way, um, that provides an additional $20,000 or $20 million a year in our budget as opposed to a AA rating on, a, on our funds. So... We do things really well. We balance our budget. We're, we're um, very concerned uh, about our people. We just approach it a little differently than the liberals. I don't know. John, do you have anything to add? I was trying to remember exactly what the, the, the specifics of the question were. Craig, would you? Well, the one of the big arguments when it comes to, like, from specifically in your race, um, you know, oh, the, okay, that's you, right. you guys have hold of you that uh, life is valuable and should be protected from birth, from from conception. Yeah, and they to say well, all, all you care about as a Republican is until birth, because after birth you don't want to take care of the baby. You don't care. It's just mm-hmm. just you got to you're you're harming the mom because mm-hmm. you just got to protect that baby. And, and the other side thinks that life doesn't have uh, as much value. You can kill yourself whenever you want. You go to the doctor and take some drugs, and you can uh, you know uh, uh, say goodbye whenever. And and Republicans believe that it's not only from. Uh, conception but it's to natural death but i i think their point the the thrust of what they're trying to get at is if you cared so much about life then you would do more at the government to have programs and to to take care of these babies that are unwanted at the government level it, it, is that an appropriate and picture? you know, I, I just don't think that that that's the government's role i mean when i have friends that that wanted to have children and were unable to several couples actually that I know and one of their challenges was adoption is hard and costly and time-consuming we we make that extremely difficult and and it shouldn't be um, there are so many other choices for those kids that that are wanted I mean I, I have friends that went to China to get kids and brought back kids with uh, physical deformities because that's all they could get and they could get them fast enough. And I've watched them raise and love and nurture those kids as their own. And uh, my gosh, we, we need every child we can get. How many people come out today to your, your meet and greet coffee? Oh, we uh, we had a restaurant full of people that we talked with. Um, 
but uh, as far as most number- of them came for the eggs and the coffee. <laughs> that's you right. just happened to be there. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'll be the honest one in the room. <laughs> yeah, we had a few that sat down with yeah. us. That's fairly typical. Yeah, part of it. Part yeah. of it. What was most exciting was visiting with people on the other side of issues. The you know people that would say, you know, I'm not on your side, and and we'd say, you know, okay, well, tell us why. You know, what's, what are your concerns? Mm-hmm. The single mom, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was fun. I enjoyed listening to, to that as well. Okay. So speaking of that, whose job is it to take care of that, of that situation? Like it's a single mom situation. A, um... You know, my, my sentiment, Craig, has always been that the, the church, the, the church has kind of abdicated its role, its role as the the leader of the social welfare system and given that to the government and it's not um it's not the right role for the government to be the the social welfare for for our society um are we I, too far down the road to fix it i don't think we're ever too far down the road no i i don't know if any, either of you have read the book the tipping point but i find mm-hmm. it fascinating it talks about uh a small change can have a tremendous, huge impact. And I think that's all we need to do is just keep working at small changes to turn the tide back. That's why I have hope when it comes to the, the drug epidemic, the crime epidemic, the, any challenge that we have is that if we just keep working at the little stuff and um, the big stuff will, will turn, it, it can change. Craig, let me let me add because people uh, ask frequently, uh, "Are you in support of Medicaid expansion?" And I want to address that because Medicaid is actual welfare. That's correct. It, it's totally different from Medicare. That's right? correct. Oh, Just absolutely. So everyone's, everyone's clear that yeah. they are two totally separate. They sound yes. similar. Yeah, but they're the, wor- the, wor- the word is similar, yep. but they're very separate. Med- Medicaid is a state-run program. It's welfare. And I very much support having a safety net for people um, that uh, can't work, crippled, disabled, children of people that can't work. But I'm not too crazy about expanding it. Um, I I uh, I want to make sure the safety net is secure. Um, but I also want to see people return to work. I want to see people involved in the dignity of the of the workplace um and i i think there's there's great there's greatness in the ability to hold down a job and i think that transforms people and i agree 100 percent. i mean i think there is absolutely dignity in work um and it needs to be a, a component of the of the fix mm-hmm Are we too far down the road? Have we created a monster with this idea that... Because there's at least one generation, maybe two at this point, that has been raised knowing that if I can't make it, I know there's some government help that I can get. It, it Are we creating a bigger problem when we start from birth with that as a possibility that, you know what, it's there. It is that safety net. And you know what? If I can't get out of the net, I can just hang out there and it's a hammock now. I mean, can can I... It, it, how do we change that mentality? 
Well, you the, know, I, the safety net has to be a little bit uncomfortable. The, the hammock mm-hmm. may, maybe has to be to be connected to a tree that's a little <laughs> a little too small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean to be frank, I, mm-hmm. I, I've always felt like, you know, f- number one, it's personal responsibility. You, each of us is responsible to take care of ourselves. Number two, it ought to be our family. You know, if my sister, my brother, my children, if, if somebody in my family's having trouble, I should be the one to step up because not only can I help them, but I can keep them accountable. Mm-hmm. And, and number three, it ought to be the church that steps in when the, when the individual and the family can't. It ought to be the church that steps in and provides that safety net. And only at the very end, when none of those things are working for a person, should they fall into the hammock, the safety net of uh, the government support. How did it get to this point? One little step at a time. (laughs) And that's why we need to start taking steps the other direction. Will it work or is, is it, are people too entrenched, their claws are too deep into this thing? Or does it have to be rip the Band-Aid off, or does it, or can no. you just slowly soak it off? I, well, I, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I I think you you turn it around incrementally. You be fair to people and you be honest with people. You tell them what's coming. Um, I think that's my my gut instinct in in turning it around. You know. Where did all this discussion of, quote, Medicaid expansion even come from? You know, it was during the Obama years. Prior to that, there was never any, not that I'm aware of, there was not discussion of Medicaid expansion. You know, well, now it's like, that's that's on the lips of every liberal, you know, and and our opponents in this race, you know, that's, that's one of their points, and I understand that, but I don't think that's part of our values as a state, and it's certainly not part of my value. Should government be emotional? <laughs> well, there are some emotional legislators or, or people that want to be legislators that are emotional. Uh, I mean, should, should laws be made, should rules be in place, and, and programs put together based on emotion? No. No. Based Double on no. fact. Yeah. Fact you know, and fact alone. As a chiropractor, I was trained on evidence-based medicine. You make medical decisions based on medical facts, evidence. It's the same technique I use as a legislator, evidence-based legislation. Yeah, and I I agree. I mean, the, the hard part is always getting the facts, and they often come with emotion, and True. and that's okay. You know, that part's all right, because the, we need the passion in the debate, too. Uh, that that can influence, but it's got to start with that basis of fact. Yeah, and, um, I, don't, and I don't mean to sound cold, if, if that's how I'm coming across, but, you know, I, I sat, for example, in, in health committee. Uh, I served on the committee, and that, to me, was, was the most challenging committee, uh, and I, I was on commerce and I was on education as well, three committees. Um, but health was the most challenging because it came with so much emotion. People brought their sick children in. They brought the stories So it's in. anecdotal. Oh, very much. So that, I think, you know, the emotion tempers the argument. And, and we're all human beings. We all have hearts. We all understand, but as a legislator, you're called to make decisions that affect 
all the people in the state. You know, 850,000 people are, are here in South Dakota. And so it's not just a little sliver. You know, one of the bills that came to me in committee was on um, expanding the vaccinations. There was, there was a bill that um, uh, actually was from the Department of Health. They wanted us to add another uh, vaccination. And uh, they brought uh, a terribly sick child that was, um, had, had developed a, a problem. Uh, and it was heartbreaking. They brought that person into the committee. That's right. That's right. For in, an ill child into the committee to uh, prove a point. That's correct. Okay. A, a disabled child, terribly disabled. Um, and it was heartbreaking. And and the mother testified. Um, but the facts of the case was that the uh, disease that the child developed was extraordinarily rare and the cost to vaccinate would be high um, and the number of children that would benefit would be minimal and so we had a debate and and it failed uh, the Department of Health bill failed um, and I supported um, I voted against the bill um, simply because of the facts, even though there was high emotion. It was probably the most emotional case that I had to deal with during my two years there. Do you think that is a... Is that a problem with our current governmental system where that's how you get things done is you bring in an emotional case to to help push because i mean if if i mean you've seen the videos of the little girl that goes and sees her dad and whatever for the last time and it's just you're crying watching it on facebook is that how we need to, i mean justice is supposed to be blind so is legislating also supposed to be blind at some level i, I don't think so because legislating is connected to the people and the people carry emotions yeah I and agree. and you can't separate the two and and what fred is talking about is it's absolutely true that you you feel those emotions and in, in your I mean as a human we all feel that but the decisions that we have to make you have to try to recognize those emotions but then make the decision based on the 850,000 people in the state mm -hmm. and what's going to be what's the right decision for us as a as a whole people not for this individual and their circumstance agree it's tough. It's really hard work. It is. It, 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 you know, some days I I just I felt so worn out. At the end of the day, I emotionally drained. I mean, you you listen to these stories and you internalize them, and then you try to make the best decision for as many people as you can, and it is hard. I think it's the hardest work I've ever done. Mm, yeah. And we want to do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you guys cook? Uh, I try. <laughs> I'm the breakfast king at my house. Oh, all right. <laughs> that's Good about, to know. That's about what it. time should we be over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you? Do you cook? I do. It's fun. Yeah. The breakfast and the and then the barbecue grill. But other than that, no. Oh, yeah. Um, what is the farthest you've traveled from South Dakota? 
Oh, wow. Israel probably. What was that like? Oh, awesome. Been there a couple times. Uh, just uh, like for doing what? Uh, my first time, I was 11 years old. Uh, I have family in Israel. Okay. Uh, I was raised as a Jew, even though I'm a Christian now. Uh, my father is a Holocaust survivor, um, immigrated to the U.S. after the war, and his surviving sisters immigrated to Israel. So um, I went there as a child, and then my wife and I went there um, 25 years ago um, as um, just travelers to visit. That's cool. How does that transition out of Judaism to Christianity? Oh, um, and how old were you? Uh, I was in my early twenties. Um, I uh, did a lot of seeking um, during my teenage years. Um, who is God, and what is life about? You know, sort of similar to what a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. go through. Um, and uh, I found a um, real relationship with Christ that I didn't know existed. In fact, I didn't even know there was a Christ. I didn't know there was a New Testament. You know, those guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I didn't, I had never heard of them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, somebody said, oh, here's the New Testament. And I said, there's a New Testament? Wow. Whoa. How did your family react? Oh, I didn't like it. Um, in fact, uh, it was worse than when I converted out of the Democrat Party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now well, we got a story. <laughs> yeah, ring the bell. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was it was a lot of wow. uh, a lot of difficulty. Was there like intervention tried to get you to to uh, wake back up? Uh, well, there was. There was. And now I'm talking about the Democrat conversion. <laughs> oh, 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 no, 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 no. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, you know what? Uh, so when. Uh, I uh, informed my family that uh, I was going to become a Christian. That was like, hey, I don't think so type of thing. It's like, we don't want to talk to you anymore. And then uh, when uh, we invited uh, Dad to come to our wedding, Mom and Dad, you know, Mom said, okay. Dad said, I don't think I'm going to come to your wedding. I'm not going to walk into a wow. church. Yeah. Uh, he thought uh, that would be like sacrilege. You know, what's this cross stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was that was tough. Finally, we, we did convince him to come, but the the big breakthrough came a few years later when our firstborn daughter Esther, Jewish name mm-hmm. Esther, was born, and uh, that sort of melted Dad, and we started all over on a great relationship wow. that lasted the rest of his life. Did he ever convert, or was he still? No, no, he he died a Jew. Uh, but, um, I asked him on his deathbed if he minded if I uh, baptized him and he said, okay, what do I got to lose? (laughs) (laughs) So I baptized my dad on his deathbed. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. John, you? I don't have anything that'll top that. (laughs) (laughs) And we're done. (laughs) Great talking with you, Craig. (laughs) I've been to Canada. (laughs) Uh, Like for what? Oh, shooting for, things? No, oh. for uh, canoe camping. I my father introduced me to the outdoors not only in South Dakota but uh, also took me canoe camping. Now is that when you like carry it on your head and you wander up through the woods? Yeah, absolutely. And then I've is been that called portaging. I, that? Yeah, portaging. Absolutely, I've done uh, the boundary waters since then uh, multiple times. Yeah. Uh, taking my own children up there and introduce them to that as we well. We should have a legislative trip. I've done Boundary Waters have once. You? Yeah, we oh. should do that together. It, That'd be cool. <laughs> 
no, I might want to get I might want to get away from that for right. and actually enjoy a little peace and quiet for a few days. Oh, God bless you, my friend. <laughs> you stay home, Fred. <laughs> so the, it was the canoe that took me to Canada. Um, and I mean, I've traveled in the United States as well, yeah. of course, Benda. Uh, I did uh, uh, got my degree in in Louisiana. Uh, and then moved to Florida with my young wife, and we worked there for uh, six years. Both of my children were actually born in Florida. Uh, and then you drug them back to the tundra. <laughs> nice. You know, and, and today they're okay with that. They, right. they still live here, and they, they could move if they wanted. They probably so. didn't get hit by a hurricane either. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I've traveled around the United States and, and – uh, enjoyed that but have not had the benefit of international travel other than canada hey that's something <laughs> i've only been to bc once just drove up there for one afternoon um should internet be considered and regulated like a public utility like a telephone in what way what do you what um, what regulation would well, well, then it, it kind of becomes controlled like a telephone system is. And should it be like mandated to be rolled out everywhere? Or, or, or is it still a luxury? Has it become something that is so ubiquitous that it's a necessity for life now? Oh, I think Internet it is. Access? I think it is necessary for life. Um, you couldn't live in today's society without it. Yeah. I mean, sitting right here where we are in this little dark room, <laughs> all of us could pull our phones up mm-hmm. and, and yeah. find anything we wanted. And that's just the way life is. So it it's a necessity. Well, and this afternoon, this show will be all over the world. So, Uh-oh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, I think a real potential question that will come up again is how do we as a as governments and you know school districts local governments how do we address the ever-changing spectrum of gender in our school system well did you say the ever-changing spectrum of gender I'm like, from my perspective, God God made us man and woman. That's it. End of story. Yeah. Um, So, Craig, you know, there's a lot of confusion going on with young people. Um, How we deal with that in the public school system is a challenge. Um, I brought legislation when I was in the legislature um that was deemed uh controversial do tell no it was controversial (laughs) (laughs) um my legislation uh would have uh required school districts to make quote reasonable accommodations unquote for boys and girls that thought they were the opposite sex Reasonable accommodations. Now, is that what would that entail? Well, that would be up to the school district. But what it would not allow are biologic boys to mm-hmm. go into the girls' restrooms, shower rooms, changing rooms, or if they traveled at night away from the school for an event, 
They would not be allowed to sleep in the same room, okay? And vice versa with the other sex. So however they accommodated those needs, maybe they put them into a, 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 a teacher's facility, you know, with, with that is uh, individual, mm-hmm. an individual facility. But they could not allow the children to use the other biologic sex's facilities. Why was that controversial? I don't know. <laughs> seemed pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> you know, why was it controversial? Because you had um, boys that believed they were girls and girls that believed they were boys wanting to go into the facility that they that corresponded with their um, belief. And there were enough people um, that supported them. Uh, now, not enough that it didn't uh, pass. It passed overwhelmingly, but it was vetoed by the governor. Why? Oh, that's a good Dugard, question. Dugard, right? Yeah, it was Governor Dugard. So what was it about it that he deemed inappropriate? Um, well, the um, reason he told me when he called me in his office uh, to explain that he was going to veto it was because, number one, um, although there's been problems in other states, there hasn't been a problem here. Okay, we've we've not had the issue come up yet in the. So th- this was the, preemptive legislation. Well, essentially, uh, yes and no, and, and I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, but the other reason was because of all of the. Um, threats received from people with organizations with money. Mm. Um, oh, so he got threatened. Our state. Our state. Veto. Lawsuits uh, are coming. Lawsuits and, and so on. Yeah. Um, so as far as your other question goes, the bill was brought at the request of a couple of superintendents. And recall this was during the Obama administration. Um, and the Obama administration had put out a uh, document that uh, required Oh, yes, in order to receive funding. In order to yep. receive federal funding. So the school districts were terribly concerned uh, about loss of local control. Mm. All of a sudden, the federal government's going to say who can go in the restrooms, and the local school districts couldn't. So I brought this bill with the intent that... Um, we would have um, it passed and would then require um, the federal government to come after the state and there would be a lawsuit uh, potentially up to the level of the U.S. Supreme Court over who has control Mm -hmm. over use of local restrooms. Um, And, uh, of course, now, uh, since uh, the Obama administration is no longer in control, Uh, The Trump administration has rescinded that uh, letter, and it's no longer an issue. So uh, early on, if I remember right during that, uh, early on in the the bill preparation, there was a piece in it that said that any financial legal burden to a school district would be taken by the state. Is that correct? And that got removed in committee, I believe. Yeah, that was part of the negotiation process. Would that piece have made it just a huge undue burden on the state? I don't know the answer to that. 
um, the state did not want to have um, the burden of potentially um, being sued. Now, that said, there were multiple legal organizations that stepped forward and said, you know what, if the state is sued, we'll cover we will, it. We'll, cover it. Mm-hmm. we'll do pro bono work representing the state of South Dakota. Whose responsibility is it to collect sales tax from out-of-state transactions? I think it's probably <laughs> the vendor's responsibility to provide that, just like uh, that comes forward with any other transaction. But I'm not privy to that information. Um, John, you were in during the last session. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, the whole South Dakota versus Wayfair, I believe, that decision came back from the U.S. Supreme Court, which removed the requirement of having brick and mortar in the state. Right. In order to to force a company to collect and, collect remit, and remit sales, sales tax, tax to yep. the state. Mm-hmm. Well, that got done. So now that opened the door for now every business that does business inside of South Dakota from outside to have to remit and collect. Should that be their responsibility? Out, out of state entities? Well, you know, the sales tax has always been due for the products that you and I purchase mm-hmm. uh, in, in the state. And uh, prior to the decision of the Supreme Court, it legally it was my responsibility, your responsibility, Fred's responsibility to cl- to pay the sales yeah, tax, the use tax yeah. for the things that we bought the use tax mm-hmm. for the things that we bought from outside of the state that that's not a convenient way to collect the tax i think south dakotans are willing to pay the tax they they weren't buying things over the internet because they were avo- in order to avoid the tax well, somewhere well but very, <clears throat> very little a lot of it, a lot of it's more convenience than anything right and and so the you know, the, the tax was always owed. We just didn't have a, a method to collect it. And uh, the Supreme Court said, no, it, it is owed. And, and you can you can force these out-of-state companies uh, that are selling into South Dakota to collect the tax and remit it. So one of the things that I, as a business owner, don't like about that is I'm a small business. I mean, we, we're not huge. But there is we're on the border. We're a border Town. Absolutely. So what that did is it then requires me potentially. Now, right now, there are some different thresholds you have to meet in order to to have to do that. But if I sell into Minnesota, I now, because of this decision with the South Dakota legislature to force companies coming into South Dakota, what it did is it opened the door. So now when I go outside of South Dakota, I have to become a business entity with those states and collect and remit for those states. So I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem like any of that consideration was even considered when writing the bills, what it's going to do to South Dakota business going out of the state of the burden it will put on them. You know, in the, in the Supreme court liked South Dakota's position because we set some thresholds. Mm-hmm. I think it was a hundred thousand dollars of, of sales mm-hmm. in, or, or 200 or transactions so, yeah. or, yeah. or something like right. that. Um, and 
And so my assumption is those same kind of thresholds are going to have to exist in well, other and, states. And they do in Minnesota specifically okay. because I had to look into it because I do a little bit of business across sure. where I ship across there. Sure. Well, this is a problem. And m- my issue with it is I think it opened a door that no one really wanted, should have opened or wanted to open because I don't know of a government who will look at that money and go, yep, we're not going to access it. You can't tell me that these these especially in the blue states, as they start seeing this this threshold, of, let's say it's a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. Man, look at all that extra revenue we should be getting. We're owed that. It's ours. So now now what do you do? They they make a rule. South Dakota doesn't, but they make a rule. And so now anything I do outside of the state is now taxed fully because the more blue state governments, they decide that this is money that they're owed. For crying out loud, gosh darn it, we it's ours. We're going to get it. We're just going to drop that threshold. And that then removes my ability to be in business at some level because of the burden it will put on. And, and you're talking about the burden of... Of, of me having of to become... Collecting a, and remitting right, it. To all, every mm-hmm. other state that I deal with. And yeah. that's the part that I don't, I don't feel like was ever addressed. Was it? Well, I, I think... You know, and I may, I may not be able to get my head fully around the issue. I think that, you know, most small businesses are selling through some other platform. Uh, very little of that sales is, is direct to the right. customer. And that those, those larger platforms are the ones that are tasked with uh, having the, the, the tax ID, the, mm-hmm. the license in the state where they're, mm-hmm. where the product is ending up and, and, uh, providing that function in a in an easy way for the the small business. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's how it's working, and and it will not be burdensome to our businesses. I hope. Well, and it, some it probably won't be much, but it it definitely will for me just because I don't use a third party. Okay. Um. Now I'm I'm fine right now just because we're still under the thresholds. Sure. But all it takes is those other governments to to go, lower the threshold. Yeah, this is more money that we we need into our state because it's owed, and they can't get it from their citizens. So they go to the outside of the state. And my one of my bigger issues, too, is it's taxation without representation. I don't have any say in what Montana does or what Iowa does or what Minnesota does. I don't have a, I don't have a voice. But the customer you're serving is in that area. And they Correct. have a, they have a voice. Well, they do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really where the taxes. But, but I mean, but they're they're responsible for remitting it. Technically. So here's my other question that I don't have an answer. haven't gotten an answer for. And I'll throw it at you because you're, you're currently Because <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> um, and I, I threw this at John Wick, too, and I don't really think he answered it very fully. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Well, John Wick could do it. If he can, I, I, we're, we're probably out of luck. <laughs> if, because the, the taxes do where it's used, where it's delivered and used. That, that's, that's the concept of a sales tax. Right. So if I buy from Amazon, let's just say, because they're the big one. If I buy from them and it ships to me, I pay this tax to my local area. And now they have to collect and remit for me. I don't have to do it. So they did that. So why doesn't the mall in Minneapolis have to ask me where I'm using the pants I buy and then collect and remit the tax for Millbank? Is it not the same amount of burden that should be placed on them? Because if I go there, I don't pay sales tax. I don't pay a dime of sales tax on clothing in Minnesota. 
Now, technically, I think it's I owe it to South Dakota. I think. Mm-mm. No. I don't think so because I think it has to do with where you receive the the good or the you know yeah. the, the product. Well, I oh, I can't go buy a car in Minnesota and not pay the sales tax in South Dakota. Right? I picked it up there, I received it. I think the laws the laws around automobiles are are unique to automobiles. Yeah, that's true because the rate's different too. Yeah. But um I think on those more uh you know um short-term use products, food, clothing, things that wear out and use get used up what quickly. What about a refrigerator? Shouldn't they be asking me cuz if I buy a refrigerator in Minneapolis, I paid the sales tax to Minneapolis or mm-hmm. wherever they're at. I think so. It yeah. does it doesn't go here. So the product got it's used and here. Shouldn't but, they be responsible for finding out where it's going and collecting the the tax for the place it's going to live? That would be overly burdensome. Oh, hello, it's the same thing as the online <laughs> the online situation. Because now every person you buy from online has to figure out where you're at and they have to be responsible to get the exact location tax information, collect it and send it to the right place. I, I just don't think it's the same thing. Yeah, they're different, I How? think, too. What? Well, because you're going, you you drive to the Mall of America. Correct. And you buy some underwear or a refrigerator. Let's use a taxed product. Yeah, refrigerator. Okay. So a refrigerator. So you, you pay some tax mm-hmm. on your purchase. Where does the tax go? Into that municipality. Sure. Or that state. Mm-hmm. Um. And you put it in your car, and you bring it over here. I I don't think our tax system was designed to. Are you going to pay tax um, in every state you drive? Yeah, Let's say you're going no, no, to Colorado. It's, it's, it's where it's used. It's where it ends up in being used. That and if it's a, and to me, it's the same argument because if I buy it online, if I buy it from some online company and they ship it to me. They paid. They had to collect and pay the tax for Millbank, South Dakota. Why is it any different if I drive to Minneapolis and they should have to collect and pay the sales tax for Minnesota from Millbank? But they they delivered it to you in Minneapolis, and and that's not where it's used, though. Uh, well, yeah, but they don't. You know, they. <laughs> I, I I know it's the details, but to me, it feels very similar. Sure. In that, if we're gonna put this burden now on anyone that sells and delivers online doesn't matter where they're from. If they ship here, they have to collect and remit here. How, it, I, I just don't see how it can be, how you can separate the two. It's my 14 cents worth on that one. I <laughs> <laughs> still didn't get an answer. <laughs> you know, I'm close enough to hit that bell. I might just... <laughs> I know you should. You're right there. <laughs> I didn't do it that time, no, just for the record. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I really appreciate you guys coming in. This has been fun. Um, Glad to be off, here. First off, I've never met you, so it's good to... Yeah, actually meet the people that yeah, are able to represent us. I appreciate that. Yeah. I I hope we're able to differentiate our beliefs and our views from some of the other candidates that you may have interviewed on the other side of the political aisle. Well, Craig is very articulate too, and and knowledgeable about uh, issues that we're dealing with, and uh, asks tough questions. I yeah. appreciate Good that questions. too. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, one more. Ooh. Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and that was John. <laughs> um, should, did, I break, did I break a rule? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> should we have gun-free zones in South Dakota? 
gun-free zones. And I'm specifically thinking of Capitol building, of government buildings, of schools. Well, I, I guess John and I have never talked about this, but uh, <laughs> and I don't know what his opinion is, but mine is no. I, I um, think that uh, gun ownership is a Second Amendment right, and if we have gun-free zones, we uh, invite criminal activity. Um, I support the uh, bill that was uh, uh, passed uh, several years ago that allows school boards to decide if they want to arm uh, their employees, be it a janitor or a teacher. I think. But it is still illegal for a citizen with a concealed carry to go on that property, correct? That's correct. Okay. Yep, that's correct. Um, I think... Uh, the the right of the school board to make that decision uh, is uh, was correctly decided by our legislature, um, and uh, I would like to see um, the capital uh, allow legislators to uh, bring weapons, particularly in light of the craziness of the times. Mm-hmm. And I just read the other day that uh, a legislator in Minnesota was accosted. Uh, I think um, legislators should be able to defend themselves uh, when they step forward to um, do the work that they do. And I, I'm in agreement with Fred. I mean, he and I haven't talked about this, but also have a A rating from the NRA. Um, I think we're safer uh, when we when we allow people to to carry and exercise their Second Amendment rights. The Gun-free zones create what are often called soft targets. Uh, in the Capitol, you know, there's a sign when you walk in that says no weapons allowed. Uh, there's no metal detector. Um, the legislators come in and abide by the law and, and don't carry, to my knowledge. Uh, Isn't the point of concealed carry that no one would know anyway? Correct. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there there's typically a highway patrol officer or somebody in the building, but it's a large building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have felt vulnerable sitting on the floor with a gallery full of yeah. uh, angry folks, uh, not knowing uh, if if something might happen. Um, and, and I think that's the same in our schools. Um, I think we, we should not be creating soft targets. But should the, the law that says it's not allowed even if we're allowing the district specifically to make an, an exception shouldn't that law not be in place if if it is our constitutional right to keep and bear arms you, are you saying that should that should over if a local school board says this is a gun free zone shouldn't the oh, second to- totally yeah shouldn't the well, second amendment the over, override that? that that's the question should it <clears throat> i'm such a believer in local control i i have a struggle with that one. Are, are you saying for for just community members to walk sure, into absolutely. school? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say uh, it's a federal law that you can't. It's not a state law or local law. It's a federal law that people cannot be within I don't know 100 feet of a school, or, and I don't know the distance. Maybe it's 100 yards, uh, but they cannot carry. Um, and into a courtroom and some things like that too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's right. Um, so, so there well, are okay. some, so, there are some this, exceptions. This goes back. That takes it out of local control totally if it's a federal law, doesn't it? Well, for average Joe citizen. Yeah. Yeah. 
But as far as um, as an armed officer, armed officers can go in if the school board allows it. Um, they can uh, have a, uh, a school employee be armed. Can sentinel. The, can the sentinel. school board say anyone with that's legally allowed to carry can be on our property? Can they say I that? I don't think so. Under the legislation that I don't passed? Think, no, not under the legislation that passed. Hmm. No, all they can do is allow uh, employees, and the employee has to go through uh, some pretty rigorous training as well. And then who gets to know who that employee is that's carrying? I think just the superintendent. I don't think that's well publicized. Maybe maybe law enforcement, probably law enforcement. Yeah, I'm sure. I think part of the training involves communication between mm-hmm. law enforcement and the, and the Sentinel. Okay. Is that, uh, do you think it's valuable to, to allow a teacher to carry a deadly weapon into a class? If the school board... Um, has deemed it so absolutely yeah i mean look at how many school districts are way out in nowheresville um i talked with uh, a superintendent of henry once and this was a few years ago and he welcomed the opportunity to uh, have um sentinels because it's 20 30 minutes Mm -hmm. you know you have a shooter boom 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 it's right away and maybe at high speed, maybe it's 15 minutes for the police to come, you know, but... It's over by then. Yeah, it's well over. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of places. And so that's why it should be up to the local school board to decide, my opinion. Would you guys ever be in favor of removing the ban and basically superseding the federal ban or attempting to at the state level? Probably not. You know, I'd have to really study that myself and look at all the pros and cons. Um, You know, I think philosophically, and this is just my opinion. Well, that's why you're here. Yeah. (laughs) I I think to have um, school districts be um, exempt from... The ability for the average citizen to carry is okay. I think it's, you know, there are some situations that you may not want to have citizens carry. Um, I'd have to really study that. Um, it's so a, I can't say for sure. It It is a very challenging issue because if the school district is going to be gun-free, then, I, then, I, then that says to me they have to take appropriate steps to ensure the safety and security mm-hmm. not only of the kids but of everybody who attends an event there right and and so they 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 have accepted that role of providing that safety and security and and that in my mind uh elevates what a school board is responsible Ooh, okay for. so then in that situation would there be some other repercussion in the event there was an incident there could be and there, but should there be like <clears throat> repercussion against the district for not Doing for not stopping that, not creating an environment that would not allow that. Probably in my mind, they've taken on that responsibility, and they better take Mm -hmm. it seriously if they're going to ensure the safety and security of people. They better be able to do it. Should there be some sort of a of a spelled out consequence then in that situation? I'm sure there'd be a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, but then I mean, you got to go back. To, well, we you know we did everything we could. We had locks on the doors, and um, but when you like you say when you have an open event, 
I mean, we're working on a, we're going to have an event in our local school here in December. Well, this happen every, they happen every week yeah. in, in oh, our yeah. schools. Well, at any athletic event, right. yeah. And we're doing an event after hours of school. It's not a school function, but we're using the facility. Are they going to provide security to make sure that that's, and I, you know, I, not that our school board is, or district or anything is ill-willed at all. I think, but I'm, it's a curious thought. I hadn't really thought of that. I think that's a conversation uh, that every local school board needs to have. And I think also it's a conversation the state should have. Uh, I, I would support a, a study, mm-hmm. a statewide study, just to uh, address that. You know, we've got 148 or 150 school districts. Uh, I'm sure most of them have uh, security plans in place, but do all of them? I don't know the answer. Um, how have how has security been addressed? Has the windows mm-hmm. been made bulletproof? Do, can we afford that? Uh, if we can't afford it, okay, so what do we do? Um, what what changes can the school district make within their budget uh, to address today's crazy, crazy world? Do you guys think that by removing a no guns allowed sign and taking that away, that by itself would discourage almost every attempt just by them knowing you know if someone had nefarious thoughts if they realize that there's a chance because it's not banned there's a chance someone that there is going to stop me quick i may not go there oh absolutely i mean i, I think we asked for it no the soft targets are the only thing that get attacked they get hit exactly yeah, yeah. They're the only place that get so my question though should we then remove that that even if it's take the signs down and let's not ever publish this just so it's not an obvious target. And I come back to the, the same thing about if, if, if we're going to put up that sign, whoever puts it up, whether it's the courtroom, they then take that, they take that responsibility and they had better, I think that makes sense. They had better accept yeah. it and be able to defend it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great answer. Yeah, that's right. Where is it? <laughs> Fantastic. There should be a camera in here once there in a while. Should. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, good luck on your race. I know this is getting into, like, crunch time. What yeah, is it? two Three, weeks. Two, two weeks left? Two weeks. two weeks from Tuesday. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, how big is District 4? Where do you guys cover? So we have all of Grant. The entire county? The entire okay. county of Grant. All of the, Duel. All of Duel. Rural Brookings. All the way down to Elkton and all the way down to the border. Down to Sinai. Go yes, Sinai. Yes, go Sinai. <laughs> and then all of rural Coddington. Huge area. Takes us forever to go from one end to the other. So not the city of Watertown, not the city of Brookings, but pretty but much everything else. Everything else. <laughs> big, um, big you're not area. all the way to Aberdeen, correct? No, not, not, Aberdeen, not no. that way. Okay. Yeah. Does no. it go? Do you go up to twenty nine here from Millbank? Are, 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 are you yeah. up to Summit? Is that Summit just south of Summit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all of Grant. Okay. Yeah, the entire county. So it's a big area. Uh, roughly twenty three thousand people. All all of the districts are the same size, um, and so we're we're rural primarily. Um, 30 communities. Millbank is the largest community in our district. Uh, and uh, I think eight school districts. Again, Millbank School District is the largest school district. 
One question for both of you. Is it wrong to turn right? On red? You guys going to win? <laughs> it's up to God and the voters. <laughs> Nobody's polling our race that I'm aware of. Thank you. Do you guys have any last thoughts you want to throw out before we wrap this up? I Again, this is great. I appreciate you coming in. And thanks, John, for coming in together. This has been cool to yeah. well, I wanna, have both of you. I want to thank you, Craig. It's been very interesting and uh, educational, and uh, I appreciate getting to meet you and um, share this time with Fred. And, and uh, Yeah, John and I have gotten to know each other a little bit better through this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I know where he stands on the Second Amendment now. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, pretty, yeah. we're pretty close together, I think. Yeah. How strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all Republicans are, you know. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Once again, um, John Mills and Fred Deutsch running for South Dakota House of Representatives in District 4. Um, vote November 6th or now if you want to vote early. Um, one thing I always tell people, do your own research and then vote. So figure out who, who you want to vote for, what they do, if they do what you want, and if they hold your values. This is the interview from the YML Blank Podcast Studio. Thanks again for listening and sticking with us this whole time. Uh, this is the third in a line of our political interviews, and hopefully we'll have more before the sixth shows up. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the rest of your week. Goodbye.